0: Beginning of next month. (laughs) If you got the Bible this morning, you might want to just turn to Philippians one. If you bring your analog version, or you can, or your digital version in your hand, I'm going to put it up on screen in a moment. But a few weeks ago, we we were doing prayer and and had a wonderful time um, gathering with a whole bunch of people praying at morning and night and. One of the things that God just kept talking to me about each day was, was Philippians. And so I've been spending a, a bit of time reading this. And so for the next, next month at least, I'm going to unpack some of the stuff through, uh, through Paul's letter to the Philippians and, and his, his book there. And it's one of those things that really I found as I, I just read the beginning of it and got to the beginning of it. I want to sort of talk this morning about, I guess, um, the heart, really the affection of a parent at the beginning of this letter just that affection of a parent and it's one of those things that you've got a spiritual parent here writing a letter to his children some people that he he feels deeply for and is very affectionate about and i made a discovery through the week a very exciting discovery say i didn't realize you were doing crash. are you doing crash? that is you do 2 crash. crèche you've been doing it for two years i didn't know this but it excited me greatly because that is just so absolutely awesome. And I, I just, there's nothing I enjoy more than seeing generations connect and, and that concept of heartbeat getting in there. And I can only imagine that you've done that because something inside you of the kingdoms come alive and there's a heartbeat for those children and of love that's creating this thing. And, and that's really what we're talking about this morning is, is the dad talking to his children. So we're just going to read the first few verses of Philippians and then sort of talk about a bit. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Oops, let's go back where I was. Go on. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Lord, I just ask that you to just open this to us this morning and just show us the heartbeat of Paul and, and what's inside him and, and what that looks like inside us and how that plays out. Father, we just thank you for such an affectionate man of God, such a heartfelt man of God that we can look at and learn from. And I would just ask, the Holy Spirit, that you would just manifest yourself in us this morning in Jesus' name. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from our Lord God, our Father, from the Lord Jesus. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. That's one of the first things I want to say this morning is pray with joy, spiritual parents, pray with joy. Now, I've hung out in some interesting prayer meetings before where, and you you might have prayed with some of the same people I've prayed with, but it it, it seems like God is their insurance policy holder. And the only time they they call is when they're calling up to sort of make a complaint to God. I "I can't believe my life is in so much trouble and pain and anguish. Why did you allow this to happen? I, I need to just issue a thing to you, come in and fix my issues right now. And then the next phone call is, why are you late? Why haven't you done this yet, God? And, or, or it's just with deep anguish. And I've hung out with people, and just every time they pray, it's just like they're sad. And I I sit there and go, I feel a bit uncomfortable with it. Of When I learned to pray, I was, um, I was in grade 11, and I hung out with a bunch of year 12 students. You know how you have to hang out with older people sometimes to learn something. So I used to get to school early on a Monday morning, catch my bus, and then I'd go find our chaplain when our chaplain got there and went and got the key to unlock the classroom. And then I'd go sit in the classroom for another about 15, 20 minutes until uh, my mates got there. But I remember praying through, and, and we used to pray for our school a lot, and, and we had a grand old time. We used to walk around that room and, and kick demons out of the school, and we found demons under every rock. Um, and I found demons that probably didn't exist, but i tell you what, we had a blast as teenagers, having a whole bunch of fun of, of, of just in this battle that Paul teaches us, that we're in a battle, we're in a war with spiritual forces. But the other really exciting thing of it was it got more fun when we started seeing our friends get to know Jesus as well. I've, I've hung out and taught a lot of young people to pray over the years, and, and one of the things, I, I think the first word, of anyone... that any of the leaders that have done youth with me know the first word that we always based youth on was fun. It's always about three F words, fun, fellowship, and fire. But the first one's always fun, and if it's not fun, they're not going to engage. And i tell you what, prayer needs to be filled with joy and filled with fun. It needs to be exciting. Here's Paul, and he's saying, I, I, I really am joyous whenever I pray for you. Why? Because they're doing well. It can be filled with joy, and so we've hung out, we've prayed, and, and it's fun when you actually start seeing results. This morning we had some fun praying. Colin got healed, then he prayed for someone else, and they got healed, and then, uh, I had a ball seeing that. I thought it was really, really neat what God does, and there is absolute joy when that happens. And, and it's one of these head spaces that sometimes we, we seem to forget that it's not just about the hard times. But it's something joy. Before I was when we were praying, like sometimes we just pray for, oh Lord, help my needs. But no. He's praying for a people that he goes on later to say that I want God to complete the good work that he started in you and I'm confident that it's already working in you and it's going to be complete by the day he comes back. And so what he's saying is I've already seen the results of my prayer. Here's Paul. He says later on that he's actually in jail at this point, in chains. If you're in that point, you don't want to be sitting there and thinking about all the people that have upset you and hurt you, anyone. So he, he just loves turning his mind to these people in Philippi who bring absolute joy to him. And he sits there and he remembers them and goes, Lord, I know what you've been doing in them already. Do some more of it. Increase their faith. Increase their anointing. Increase your hand that's at work on them. Later, he actually teaches them in, in chapter 4 how, how praying with joy and thanksgiving is actually helps us sustain in life. And we'll talk about that another week. He actually teaches how it actually helps combat mental illness. He says, "When pray with thanksgiving so that you won't be anxious in anything. This should be our base mode when we pray. It should be filled with joy when we pray for children. I'm just absolutely grateful for my children and what God's doing. And um, sometimes I want to pray with anger um, when I think of my children. But it's that heartbeat of a parent that just has... Joy. So the first thing I want to say to you this morning is is joy. We know that from the word that joy is our empowerment. Joy is our empowerment. And so we're going, why is Paul so happy? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, one of the things that spiritual parents love doing with their children is working together. One of the things that seems to really impact and do things. Last weekend we were off camping and had a wonderful time. It was really neat. People asked me how camping was it was great. I just love watching a bunch of kids run around and run around together and and run around so I don't actually have to chase them either. They just look after themselves and had an absolute great time. But what was even better is um, a few of us have been camping together for a while and then we had some new people come and join us with it. And I remember some of the when we first started doing this, it was like Pete and I sort of knew what was going on and we'd load a trailer and, and, and spend a lot of time doing that. And then I had this um, oh, little, little delight which impeded my pack down process. Usually I'm one of these people that get up in camping, like have everything packed before any, anything else is going on. I'll, before sunrise, before breakfast, I'll have my tent down sort of thing. And, and I'm, I'm one of those people. This year I was the last to get my tent. Actually no, I beat Tim by about 30 seconds. He, um, and I was about last to get my tent down. And what was more amazing with that is I, I got back up the other end and the trailer was packed. And, and I'm watching not just as, as guys got together and packed the trailer, but I watched as sort of you can just see a, a connection that gets built all the more. There's something about actually working together that, that develops friendship and develops bond. I, I, I saw the other day um, we had some guys working out on the bus and, and David Dean and, and Jim Bannon were there helping us out. Thank you, lads. Um, for, for giving us your time. But then I came in and they're having lunch and, and taking their lunch break from what they were doing. I think their lunch break lasted about three hours. Um, sorry, three and a half. Sorry, I, I, I had to leave before you were finished lunch. And, but I, I just watched this as two blokes who didn't know each other before the gay, day started all of a sudden worked together and developed friendship over it, and developed relationship. There's something about working together. My, my father-in-law and I don't share the same personality type. But as we work together, there's deep affection that, that gets bonded and, and, and connected there. And so, so Paul's talking to these guys and going, you know what, I just am absolutely joyous about you and, and so grateful for you. Why? Because from the very first day, from the very first day, you, you took up the things of the gospel and started, started doing it. We know that's the pattern that Jesus sort of used when Jesus first, he got baptized and came out of the river, and then John starts talking to his disciples in John 1 and says, Hey, guys, there goes the Lamb of God. And so Andrew and another fellow hear this, and and they sort of take off after him. And the first thing Andrew does is he goes find Simon that day. He goes, We've found him. We've found the Messiah. And so Simon gets all excited and goes up, and Jesus starts prophesying over him. And then the next day, they go, and Jesus starts talking to a fellow called Philip. And the very first thing Philip does after that, he goes and finds Nathaniel and says, we've found him, he he comes from Nazareth. And and of course, Nathaniel thinks that's a stupid idea until Jesus comes up and starts prophesying over him. But you've got from the very first thing, the very first thing that we do when we encounter Jesus that we can see modeled all the way through the Bible is we go tell others about it. You know, when God has done something in your life, the very first thing you do with that is go find someone else to tell about it. I remember spending time trying to find a discipleship program. And I picked up all these ones and it would wait till like week 12 to talk about evangelism and week 10 to talk about, and all these things. And I, I sat there and, and, and sat until I found this one that, that the very first thing they said was, go tell someone else. Whenever I lead someone to Jesus, the first thing I tell them, now go tell someone. Tell your family, tell your friends about the decision that you've made today. When God's done something in your life, people who have been felt the touch of Jesus and the healing of God today... I ask you this question, who needs to know about that? Who is there in your world that needs to hear about what God's done in your life today? Who is there in your sphere of influence and in your community that needs to hear about the transaction of heaven that has happened inside your body and happened inside your spirit today? Because we've joined together, and I tell you what, there's nothing that brings greater joy to a leader or a parent than having their kids join with them in the things of the kingdom. I just love in this place now where I don't need to really lay hands on anyone. It all just happens. That You're recognizing that the kingdom of God is inside you and it is at work and it is active deep within you. The very primary thing is still the primary thing that the gospel is about others getting to know Jesus. The core thing is still the core thing. See, the reason that he says this is we we find in Acts 16 actually how the church of Philippi started. And so what's going on at this point is Paul and Timothy are are going around uh, sort of some of the the minor locations uh, below Europe at that point and going from place to place, sharing the kingdom and sharing the gospel and walking around and just prophesying, going from house to house. Anyway, they, they set their minds to go to a couple of different cities and the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going there. No, you're not going there. No, you're not going there. And at this time, Luke joins them. Um, the author of Acts joins them on their journey. And they're all, having a, they're all going camping at Wivenhoe and, and having a good time because the Holy Spirit's not letting them go anywhere else. And all of a sudden, Paul has a dream because he had some bad pizza in the morning. And No, he didn't have bad pizza. Anyway, he has this dream and, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to go up to Macedonia. And so off they take the next day, pretty much to set out, or they probably did a bit of planning, and they hopped in a boat and started to sail up to Macedonia. And they sail up to um, Nicopolis and and land there and walk 13 kilometers inland to this little place called Philippi. And now Philippi was an interesting city. It was an interesting place at that. It was actually established in uh, 168 BC um, by Philip II, named after him, Philippi, after Philip, and uh, he was the father of Alexander the Great. And so this sets a tone for a town and, and I find it interesting, I really need to sometimes know who the people are because I look at Paul and he's got a heart for these people, so who are they? What's going on there? So this was, this was built out of a, a warrior emperor's father established this town. That, that continued on because in 42 BC, Brutus and Cassius, Cassius had a battle with Octavian and Anthony there. Now we know Brutus and Cassius murdered Julius Caesar and then Octavian and Anthony got really upset about that and so they got their forces and and this was the location where the whole biff went down over over the murder of Julius Caesar and we know from history that Octavian and Anthony won and defeated Brutus and Cassius there and then you go about 10-15 years later and Octavian and Anthony have a big biff And then Octavian wins and gets named Augustus. And and sorry about the history lesson if you're not a history vac, but I find this interesting to actually understand what the city's about. And then at that point, he becomes um, Augustus. And then he's ruling all of Rome. So he focuses on Philippi and actually pronounces this part. It's been part of the the Roman Empire since um, they took over from the Persians. But he now calls this actual this bit of land is as if it was in Rome. It becomes an outer, an outer sort of state, for better words, so that you could actually buy property in there as a Roman citizen. And all the rights of a Roman citizen operated within this town. And, and so it, it was highly favoured within that. And so as a result, it became the lowest part of Rome in Europe and the first point of Europe. Now also... Because of this, it was established with Octavian that he placed garrisons there and troops. So most likely, this was actually a place there was a lot of retired military hanging around. So it'd be like almost an Anzac Day march going down the street most of the time in this place going on. The Bible talks about the fact that it was fertile, um, a highly fertile land, but also there were gold and silver mines there. Um, A lot of gold was mined there and shipped up. So That's why it was established and, and treated as such an important place, because why? It made money. So there's a lot of money in this town, um, a lot of great nomads hanging out there and into this place. And and so that's why when Paul goes into Europe and says to come into Macedonia, that's why he chose this place. The Bible says it was the first city of Europe. It was the first entrance point. And so he gets there and he, he, he walks in with Timothy and Luke And the Bible says that what they did is they walked around the city and and were praying and looking at what's going on. And then when it goes to the Sabbath, they went out to the synagogue. The Bible says they went down to the river. Now, what that usually means is that the synagogue should have been built near the river because they used water for their religious purposes. So they went down to the synagogue, and there they met Lydia. And that very first day that they're there, Lydia, she was a Jew, and she knew about the faith, and and she gives her life to Jesus. And so later on, she gets baptized and, and... whole family gets baptized and then she goes come back to my house stay with me and they're like no we couldn't do that to you no but she insisted and she became the first church in europe and so lydia's house was the first church building in europe that very first day that they went out and started talking to people about jesus someone got saved and they built church um now, what happens after that is a fascinating little thing. So they go around and they start telling people about Jesus, obviously, and meeting in, in Lydia's house. Then one day they're walking down the street and this little girl starts following them. And you probably know this, this bit, of the, bit of Acts. So in Acts 16, it talks about this little girl following them and she starts crying out between, behind Paul and Timothy, these guys have the truth, the, the truth about Jesus. These guys have the truth and the truth about Jesus. And so this goes on. And the Bible says this goes on for a few days. Until such a point that Paul gets annoyed. And one day he must have just got really sick of this, getting told that he had the truth and he had Jesus inside him. And, And he turns around and says, get out of her. And the demon comes out of her. And she gets delivered. Now, I realized this was sort of something I wanted to talk about this morning. Then as I was praying and reflecting, I realized I didn't actually ask myself one of the important questions about that. Why did he wait? why why did he wait why wasn't it that first day that he recognized that there was a demon possessing this girl following him around but the bible says he waited and it indicates at least three days it was probably a longer period of time that it went on but he's he's waited to deliver this girl from a demon and then the compassion inside me starts to question hang on What's going on there? Maybe someone, I don't really have a full answer to this yet. I can give you some of my thoughts on it. Maybe someone here can really give me a good theological response to this. But I'm going to spend some more time with Jesus on it. But I look at it and I I think about the miracles of Jesus. People came up to Jesus asking to be delivered. People came up to Jesus who had responsibility asking for their, their young ones to be delivered. See, this girl, she was actually owned by some silversmiths. So silver's being mined there, and they've, they've got a living sil- Now, they obviously make a lot of money from their silver work, but they also made a lot of money off this girl because they used her as a fortune teller for travelers that would come in to tell them their futures uh, about what was going on. And, and so they were a little bit annoyed when Paul cast this demon out of her because all of a sudden one side of their business got shut down. Now, it's just, just like we know sometimes when there's psychic fairs and that, they don't like setting up next to Christians because all of a sudden... It just doesn't work it just doesn't work i've, I've heard stories of that where um, you've got psychics set up and then the christians set up next to them and they go will you just get away from us and they've had to pack down their tents because it just stops working for them and, and so you can just see what's what's going on there but this little girl the, she didn't ask and the, and the people responsible for her didn't ask the miracles of jesus well they're they're all done in compassion jesus had compassion on them and they were healed jesus had compassion you'll find that phrase a lot of times in there this miracle happened it happened out of annoyance i can't think of another miracle in scripture that happens out of frustration oh you are so annoying i'm just going to deliver you right now (laughs) it just just feels backwards in there but but i my best my best understanding of this at the moment someone might be able to educate me later which would be really neat was that paul recognized that there wasn't see miracles happen because someone needs faith and there was no faith for healing in this young girl or in the people that, um, that were responsible for her. There was definitely faith in Paul. But he recognized that his desire wasn't just for that. His desire wasn't just for her deliverance, but for her soul as well and for the souls of others. And so without the faith operating in them and the desire in them, they're not going to come to a revelation and a, and a fulfillment of Jesus in that point. Also, I'm, I'm sure he understood that there would be um, implications, not just for him, because we know he doesn't concern, care about what happens to him. You read Philippians in full. You know he doesn't care about what happens to him. But he cares about what happens to his church. And so I'm sure he was aware that there'd be things that would happen to his church. Because what happens afterwards is that the silversmith stirs up the town and they get, get um, Paul and Timothy thrown in jail. After a little bit, um, they get beaten up first. As happened, like, it's just one of those police bashing things that we don't have to, well, we don't really, our police are really nice. Go back then, you get beaten up to a pulp and then stuck in jail. Anyway, said so they're, they're doing there, they're in jail, and, and instead of having, as Pastor Bruce would have said, a pity party in prison, they had a uh, praise party in prison, and at, at midnight, and this is what I always used to take whenever we'd do sleepovers at youth, this is where I'd take it from, at midnight, they're there worshipping, and all of a sudden, there was an earthquake and the jail sprung open. Um, This woke up the jailer at the time, and he sees what's happened. He gets all freaked out, so he decides that, no, it's over for me, and he's about to kill himself. And then Paul shouts out, don't do it! We're still here. And the jailer gets absolutely, what are you doing? You guys are mental. (laughs) Like You can escape. Why are you still here? And and so he leads the jailer to Jesus. And the jailer and his whole family come to know Jesus, and they go and start hanging out with Lydia. Anyway, um, the town decides there's nothing to hold Paul and Timothy for, And so they release them, and then Paul kicks up a stink at this point and says, I'm a Roman citizen. Notice how this was a province of Rome, so he could call on that. I'm a Roman citizen. I want an apology. And you think about, hey, why didn't you do this two days ago when they were trying to throw you in jail and beating you up? Why didn't you go, hang on a sec? No, hold that stick back. I'm a Roman citizen. Because he wasn't concerned for his own safety, but he was concerned for his church. Because he knew if he just got put back, the whole church would be, would be in trouble because it's some Jews stirring up trouble. That's what they were saying. But now it was a Roman citizen that had established a group of faiths in the town. And, and so at this point, his heartbeat is there. It's funny how we, um, you know that little girl that was following, following uh, Paul and Timothy around, screaming out, no one told her that. No one told her that. What was inside her recognized what was inside them. Last weekend we um, had a bunch of fun and we're sitting around playing 500. 500 I'm, a, I'm a board gamer and 500 is still one of my most fun games. So I gave up some sleep to play 500 last weekend and invested some sleep into that thing. And anyway, Pete comes up and, and, um, as we're playing this and looked a bit disheveled as you do when you're half asleep. And said, oh, there's some guys next door. I've just asked them to be quiet but they're a bit upset about it. And so, in a campsite, noise travels a lot, and so I don't know what's going on. Anyway, they were playing some music. And a little bit later, we've got this fella come up, and all of a sudden, he's just standing there in front of our game. And so we're having a bit of a yarn with him, and he's sort of swaying a little bit and slurring his words a little bit. I th- he must have been tired, too. And, <laughs> and then Pete comes back up, and he'd been hitting his caravan and, and things like that, and uh, making him a bit upset. Anyway, so we, we, after a little bit, we go back and... I'd had a bit of a yarn with him for a while, and he seemed like a nice enough bloke, but a bit, bit upset about some things going on. And well, we had um, Tim Coates was there with us, and he, he sat there and started having a yarn, and I, he was teaching me a few things about counseling. It was absolutely awesome for a chippy to teach me how to counsel, and um, that, that was great. Anyway, his friend comes up and starts joining us. Somewhere in the line, they've, they've worked out we're Christian, and I didn't say anything to him. I don't think Pete said anything to him about being Christian or or knowing that, but somewhere along the lines they they worked out that we're a Christian group. Anyway, his mate comes up and starts trying to calm him down, and and by this stage he's he's fairly calm about the the whole thing, but his mate sort of tries to calm him down. Then he walks off, and his mate sits there and goes, you know what, I'll look up at these stars, and uh, there's got to be something more. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy that's had a few starts opening up on this big spiritual conversation with us and starts to have this big, big thing until a point where he discovers that, hang on a sec, this is getting a little bit too real for me, um, brushes back the tears and decides to shut down the conversation at that point. But I want you to say this, the whole primary purpose of us having the kingdom of God is so others can discover it. You carry the kingdom inside you. Luke 17, 21 says, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. And it's recognized by people where you go. I can't count the times, the number of times I've had people sort of like, oh, I don't feel so good when I'm around you. I don't like talk. Oh, and they get convicted about their land, all these sort of things. I don't say anything to them. They just get things going on. There's a, there's a spiritual transaction that happens when you're in, in their presence. Guilt, conviction, spirit of God. And so this is the town that they're all in and and they've had this, and then Paul stays on for a little bit and teaches them, and then he, he leaves them as he does. And I, I want to just finish with this, this verse um, this morning. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for you all with affection. You know, I, I remember getting taught at one point that Paul was a bit of a grumpy man and a bit of a hard man. I think people look at his first encounter as Saul and how he's really persecuting the church and a hard man. And then you read how he speaks to his children. You read the beginning of the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. A hard man doesn't use the word affection within there. And and I this is this is the bit I was I was talking with a bunch of the crosslink leaders um, at the end of last year. And we were just chatting about spiritual parenting, and and one of the things I realise is um, some of you parents this might come as a shock just now. Your children over their lifespan are going to cost you somewhere in the vicinity of one hundred and seventy to three hundred thousand dollars, at least. <laughs> each child, each children are expensive. (laughs) They're very expensive. Some of you guys that are considering, I'm going to have kids in the future going, "Uh uh-uh, not now. (laughs) It's worth it. But if our natural children cost us, how much more should that equate in the spirit as well? I can guarantee my spiritual children have cost me. Cost me time and energy and finance and driving here and there and Getting calls at midnight and all, all sorts of bits and pieces around, and, and uh, but I wouldn't trade that because of this. There's something of affection and of this. I, I just, of course, I'm going to turn things every chance I get. I'm going to talk about parenting in the kingdom and raising up a generation because um, I, I believe in this day and hour. That's the thing that the the kingdom of God is to do, and uh, what we're what we're to do. And at the end of Malachi, we know it's the hearts of the fathers turning towards the children. And that's what, what's happened here. And Steve's nodding at me because this has happened inside you. This is something that's transacted and all of a sudden something's come alive of affection for some other people. And I'm not saying, Paul's not talking about little kids at this point. He's talking to Lydia, who's probably the same age as him. Talking to a jailer who's probably the same age as it. Sometimes your children are the same age or older. That happens there. But something of the kingdom of God comes alive inside us. And and that's the thing I I, I think is worthwhile praying for and joy. It's just asking God to just come alive inside us with affection for someone else. For someone else for the things of the kingdom. For someone else for the things of of purpose. And so Paul's writing to this people who he loves dearly because... He went in and started a church in their house and there was a jailer who didn't kill himself because he stayed in prison and then he got saved and they all got baptized and hung out together and he, he hung out and he loved the church because from day one they went around and started telling other people about Jesus. Day one they set up a church building and opened their home up for it and he's got great absolute love for them. And uh, I, I guess that's, that's really the thing is oh, that God would do inside us that same love and that same affection. But I love this, what he says, because he starts his letter and he says, I write to the saints, the people of Christ Jesus at Philippi, as well as you, I'm also talking to your leaders, your pastor and your elders. I'm also talking to your overseer and your deacons. He wasn't just writing to the the leaders of the church. He said, all of you is what I long for with affection. See, sometimes we, we think... That actually this whole concept of parenting or mentoring is a, is a single transaction, it's just one-one, that we're just raising up the person that's going to replace me and when I retire and that they're going to take over for me. That's not the case at all. It's more than one. It's multiples. It's children. It's not, it's not a replacement. It's not just a succession plan. This is multiplication. This is input. This is impulse going further and deeper and... Would you stand with me this morning? Now, Father, as we come and and just look at this, what's really been called the epistle of joy. Lord, I look there and I see a man and I see his heart and I see such love and affection. And this morning as we stand here, Father, I, I would ask that you would just do that same in us. Lord, that you would move on our hearts with affection. Lord, that when we pray for people, there is joy because we're seeing your work and we're seeing potential and we're seeing what's going on, that we would have an affection to join with each other. Lord, I just, we've waved at each other this morning. There's some connection going on there. But Lord, in this place and outside these walls in this city, Father, we just ask for your heartbeat. Just for your heartbeat. For that love that gentleness that's inside just to be manifest. And just we're in an attitude of prayer, I just want to ask this morning, you know, been talking about Paul going to a city and a city where no one knew about Jesus, it'd be remiss of me to stand here this morning and not say, are you in this place and um, you need to get your life right? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus, you just Someone's brought you to church and you you come and hung out or maybe you've been coming for a while and just hanging out, but you've never actually taken that time to actually give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you just walked away a bit. you have just slidden back and you just need to take that time, like Lydia did that day, and just say, yes, Jesus. I'm going to answer your call. I'm going to answer your call. If that's you, why don't you just slip your hand up quickly. I just want to pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Let's just bow. Let's, let's we'll pray through this first. We'll, we'll pray through this first. And will you all pray with me for a moment? Let's all pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me, thank you that you care about me. And you want me as your family. I'm sorry I've sinned. But I thank you that you died for me. I give my life to you afresh today. And receive you as my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You know, if you're praying that, that's just the time. You're just back with God. And he just loves you and he's there with you and just cares about you as part of his family.